0: Discussed the week before last. We we're talking about the essentiality of faith, right? And how faith is vital not only to our relationship with God, but to living life and overcoming in life. But I want to take a detour and discuss with you something that I feel the Spirit of God has placed upon my heart. You know, it's only if you ask the right questions that you will get to receive the right answers. And it's the same with the Lord. When you ask the Lord the right questions, you will get the right answers. And I was pondering and just inquiring about certain things in the Word of God regarding the Spirit of God. And the objective of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. And the Spirit of God has been kind enough to give illumination uh, with regards to that. So we're going to discuss that a while, and I hope that the message blesses you. Can we turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter number. 3 Genesis rather let's 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 look at chapter number 2 in the interim. Praise God. Get this from me, please. Thank you. Genesis chapter 2. We will look at verse 15. Praise God. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And there are several ways we can Look at this. The first way is in relation to the assignment that God gave Adam, right? Because he placed him in the garden to tend, to protect it, to cultivate it, and to keep it. But there is a way I think we can look at this that can really help our understanding about why it was so essential, not only for Jesus to come, but for him to herald the coming of the Spirit, to announce the coming of the Spirit. Because when you read the the Codex of Scripture, what you find is the... The, the prophetic utterances or the prophetic uh, 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 foretellings of the prophets had to do with the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. Because the spirit of Christ that was in them was 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 showing them about the coming of the Savior, the coming of the Messiah, who not only save his people, but the whole world. But the coming of the Spirit isn't really heralded until Jesus comes. Because here's this man, the Savior, that has been prophesied about for eons. He comes and one of the major messages of his ministry is about the Father and the coming of another one like him. And when we begin to read Genesis, and we, if, if we allow ourselves to, to, to let the Spirit of God illuminate us, we will begin to realize that this matter really began in the Garden of Eden. Because God places the man in the garden to tend it and to keep it, and then he commands him, saying, all of these trees that are in the garden, and remember, in the garden in the midst of the garden was the tree of life, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God says, you may eat part of this tree you should not eat because the day you eat this tree, he says, you will bring death upon yourself. So, we can clearly see based on the command that God is giving man that the placing of Adam in the garden had to do with the preservation of life. It had to do with the preservation of life. Because his life in the garden, his life with God depended solely on whether or not he would eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because that's how death would enter the world. If he ate, then death would come. But if he did not eat, then life would continue. So life for Adam would be sustained through the abstinence of partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but then it will end once he eats. So this makes me wonder what is it that God was trying to get Adam to do in the garden? Because it it, it almost looks like what God did in Israel on Mount Sinai when he gave them an option, when he said to them, "'Behold this day I place before you death and life.'" And then he says, "'Choose life.'" In the garden he was saying to Adam, Eat of the tree of life, but I have also placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that if you partake of it, that will be your death. So Adam had the choice to sustain his life as and fellowship with God, or die by disobeying God. So it, 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 it's like the discourse in Genesis that god has with man was about the saving of his life the preservation of his life so that man comes into ruins whenever he deviates from the precepts i mean the precepts of god that his life will ultimately come to death if he chooses and decides To veer off from the laws, commandments, instructions of God. The safest place for Adam was in obedience to God. That's where life is. Because the territories that God does not send us into, that does not command us or command us against He says, those are places of death. That means where God told you not to go will be where your destruction is. Who God told you not to be friends with, not to marry, will be your death. The job, the career path that God told you not to choose will be your death. So life isn't, isn't about just about choosing right. It's about knowing what not to choose. Because what not to choose and what not to do is as important, if not important, as the choosing. So Adam, don't eat. If you want to continue to enjoy the bliss, the glory of Eden, don't eat. If you want to remain in the garden, don't eat. There's the tree of life. You may eat of that. You may eat of that. But this other tree, don't eat it. Don't eat it. So the command that God gave Adam was about the preservation of his life. Look at your life. Look at all the things that God said to you not to do. Either through scripture, through some warning, through prophetic warning. Look at all those things that you know in your spirit that you should not have done. And you did. Nothing good ever came out of them. Nothing good. So disobeying God's commandment is the same as sucking life out of you. And do you know, the closest thing to the imagery or the representation of God on earth is your parents. And that's why the Bible says, Obey your mother and father that your days may be long in the earth. That means if you disobey your parents, your days are cut short. In the same way as Adam disobeyed God and his life was cut short. So, the the picture God gives us of how we are to relate with him is is given to us by our relation to our parents because in a way, your parents created you. In a way, you are a creation of your parents. I'm not talking about about the circumstances under which you were birthed. I'm talking about the, the, the... the the biological process with the end result being you and your parents are responsible for that. And he says, as long as you obey these creatures, these beings that are responsible for your birthing, he says, "Your, your life on earth will be added. So it looks like God is more concerned about the preservation of human life. That his number one vision for man was that he may sustain a life long enough to have fellowship with God and enjoy all that God has to give man. And that hanged upon one thing. If you disobey, you will die. If you disobey, you will die. So it is in your best interest to obey your parents. Because if you disobey, you die. Now, what defines the righteousness of the instruction or command that your parents may give you. What defines it? Who defines it? Well, ask yourself, what is the righteousness of God? And what is obedience to God mean in relation to obedience to your own parents. He says, both will determine whether or not your life is prolonged. And remember, it's not just the prolonging of life. It's the blessedness that comes with that life. Because remember, when God created man, he blessed them. So the Bible says, "When so that your days may be long on the earth. He's referring to living under the blessing. God is concerned about you living life at its fullest. And living life at its fullest includes having God and all that he has to give in your life. So I asked myself, what has been the vision of God for man because as long as man does not have life he cannot function like God as long as man does not possess life he cannot function like God because the capability to operate like God has has to start with man having life so Jesus comes and he says i have come that they may have Life, which presupposes that up until that point, man did not have life. Man did not have the life that was essential to relate with God. And that's what, that's what he presupposes. If he says, I have come that you may have life, that means up until that time, you have no life. So Adam's disobedience removed the life that connected man to God. And it was God's goal to ensure that before anything else, that life is reinstated to mankind. So ask yourself, what life have I been living before Jesus? For him, because for him to say, I come to give life, means that the life you're living is redundant. To God is redundant. That life serves no purpose. Think about Adam. He lived 930 years, but he was a dead man. Because he, he had... No fellowship, no communion, no communication with God anymore. That means death is a life without God. Death is a life without God. So the presentation of God in the garden was a life with him. That was what God was proposing to mankind. And he says that is a choice. A life with God is a life you choose. So, if you are a Christian and you ask yourself, why don't I have the kind of relationship I desire with God? It's a choice. It's a choice. So, the Garden of Eden really was God's proposing to Adam, that God was proposing eternal covenant eternal marriage to Adam because in the same way that that death was finalized when he disobeyed God If he had eaten of the tree of life life with God would be a finality So being a Christian is not about getting these extra material blessings and this is what this is what materialistic christianity loses it loses the essence of the purpose of god the essence of the vision of god in the coming of jesus and later the coming of the spirit of god because you will think that jesus is in your life to give you something that 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 is materialistic whereas that is not the case god's desire was an eternal marriage an eternal union between you and him. And Jesus came to offer us what God offered Adam in the garden. What did God offer Adam in the garden? Life and also death. Remember, God doesn't only come with light, with goodness, with blessings. When he comes, he comes with the, the 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 goodness and the anti-goodness. Because to reject God is to accept the opposite of what he gives. So Adam committed treason by rejecting God. And this is what really many of us have done throughout our lives. You ask how? Well, with your parents, you must. Almost, you, 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 have, you have to have a appre- deep appreciation and reverence for the source of your life. Do you understand that? There's a deep appreciation that has to come from you toward the source of your life. And when that deep reverence, that deep appreciation is not there, he says, you will will shorten your life and have unpleasantries in this life. So Jesus says, I have come. I have come. That you may have life. I have come. And this life, he says, is available to all. Because a life without God is what death is. That's what death is. Let's let's bring it deeper. Alright? Let's bring it deeper. Because I, I want you to understand really why you have the Holy Ghost. Why you have the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not so that you can holler in tongues only. There's a reason behind it. There's a deep reason behind it. And once you you grasp that understanding, your whole life may change. Let's look at at that scripture again in Genesis chapter uh, 2. Now, let's read verse 9. Verse 9 reads, Verse 8, the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. You see that? Did you see, did you see that? I don't think he saw that. He put the man whom he so Adam was not formed in the garden. Do you understand that? That means Adam was formed before the garden. Which means if he was formed before the garden, that means Adam did not wake up in the garden. So Adam's first residence was not in the garden of Eden. Because God put the man whom he had formed. And remember, the Bible says, and the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed upon him the what? The breath of life and man became a living soul. So Adam did not wake up in Eden. He was formed outside of Eden. So he must have had a life before God finally put him in Eden. Which means your first dwelling place will not be the destination that God has designated for you. That means where you are born is not where you should end up. Because the final destination of Adam up until that point was Eden. So man was not born in Eden, but he was born for Eden. He was not born in the glories of Eden, but he was born for it. You may not have been born in wealth. You might not have been born in opulence, in luxury, in freedom and liberty, but you were born for it. That means the circumstances of your birth does in no way represent your destiny. In the same way that Jesus was born in a manger but he was not born for the manger. That was not his destination because the Bible tells us that Jesus himself said this. He said you shall see the son of God sitting at the right hand of the majesty. He was born in a manger but he ended up on the throne of the universe. And that is the same story that God pictures with man throughout the generations in his dealings with man. He says, thou, thou what? Thou takest the poor and set him up among kings that he might inherit the throne of glory. He was born in the slums, but he was what? Born for glory. In the same way with Adam, he was not born in Eden. If he was not born in Eden, where was he born? I'll tell you where was he born? He was born in the wilderness. That's where Adam was born. And it it seemed right in the eyes of God to give Adam his first place of abode outside of Eden. Because Eden at that time was not made, was was not planted. It was only planted after Adam was created. No, look at it, look at it, look at it. Look at it. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he what? He put the man whom he had formed. So the formation of Adam predated Eden. I mean the garden of Eden. The forming of Adam predated Eden. That means You are more important to God. You are more important to God than your destination. And you need life to get into Eden. It was not until Adam was alive that he came into his Eden. Until he became a living soul, a functioning soul. The problem with many of us is that we are not functional. We are dysfunctional. Therefore, we do not yet qualify for entrance into Eden. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we may ask, where was Adam born? Where was he created? Where did he come alive? because the first thing he saw was God and the environment in which he was. And that environment was not like the garden. It was something totally different. And we know that Eden was a territory. Eden was a city. And we know that up until that point in time, there were other spirits that had inhabited earth. And if you read Jeremiah chapter 4 from verse 25 downward, you'll recognize that really the place where Adam was born in the earth was actually a desert. And what gives us a clue that that was actually a desert is what God said. He used clay. He used the dust of the earth. So it was a dusty place. It was a dusty place. What does that tell us? That as long as we've got God, we need not worry about where we are. We need only concern ourselves by what? By following God because it is God that will put us where we need to be. You must must re-listen to this statement. After, after we've, we're done with the service, play the statement over. Because that will show you really where we are. The condition of our life is that we are in time following God. Because as long as we follow God, God will plant a garden for you. God will plant a garden. As, as long as you're following God, God will plant a garden for you. Because it is God who planted that garden. And it is God. Look, look at it. Look at it. Look at it. So the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden, right? Which he had formed. Now I want you to see this. See this. Beautiful. See this. See this. And out of the ground, the Lord God made. Out of the ground, the Lord God made. What did he make? The Lord God made every tree. Hallelujah. That is pleasant to the sight. That means, that was including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was pleasant to look at. Every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. Do you see that? Do you see that? The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. So why did God put the man there? It's clear. He wanted the man to have eternal life. God's desire for man was eternal life. And this makes me wonder At the point at which God told Adam to eat freely of every tree in the garden, and the time that Satan came and deceived the woman, how long was that time frame? Because if God comes to you and he puts you in a garden, put yourself in Adam's shoes, And he says to you, look, there's the tree of life. There's these other trees that are there. Right, tree of wisdom, tree of whatever joy, tree of peace, right? Because in the garden, food was for impartation, right? It it was not to feel, it was for impartation. And and there it is, right? There it is. Remember what the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right And and God says all those things to Adam And then says don't eat of this tree The day you eat of this tree You die There were probably 10 times If not more Trees than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Yet Adam ate that tree Out of all the trees that were there Now the question is How long Was it Before Between the time God commanded the man, and the time Satan came and deceived them. Because the the length of time, the span of time it took for all these two events to to happen, will give us insight as to really why might what might have caused Adam and Eve not to eat. Because when I look at it, the only reason had to do with the, the difference in time between the command and the arrival of Satan. Because if the, the more time Adam had, the more he would eat. Because up until the serpent came, they had not yet eaten even of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they also had not yet eaten of the tree of life. That which means that they might not have been there long enough. For them to eat. Right? Because they needed to eat. So if they had been eating, what is the first tree would you have eaten of? The tree of life. Right? Because that's the tree that God cast the spotlight on. Alongside with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if there was a tree that they were going to eat first, was the tree of life but they didn't eat of it. And when you read the story, it looks like there was not enough time to do so. It seemed like as soon as God finished with Adam, as soon as Eve was created, the serpent pounced. Because it was not the woman that informed the serpent about eating the tree. It was the serpent. That means the serpent was there. Hmm. The serpent was there when God gave Adam the command because the serpent's question presupposes that. It implies and infers that he was there because he said, did God really say, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? How does he know? How does he know who told him? Because it was, not this, it was not Eve that initiated the conversation. It was the serpent. Implying that the serpent was there when God was commanding. And to add, to add even deeper, it also implies that Satan did try on Adam. But he, he failed because Adam had been strong enough, right, to repel and rebuke the devil. Now, now, Eve comes. And when Eve comes, day four. Question, why didn't you eat of the tree of life? That's the question. Why did you not eat from the tree of life? You ask. You had it available. It was in your grasp. Why did you not eat of the tree of life? What happened? What happened Why did you not eat? Why did you choose death over life? And this is a question that has been plaguing mankind since forever. And it seems like there is something internal in mankind that that makes him default to choosing the antithesis of everything that God wants for him. Look at our world now. Our world hates God. Why? This whole world hates Jesus. Why? Why? Why is that we are repulsed by the idea of God? Talk about God in any setting. Talk about Jesus in any setting. You will begin to see different responses. Why is that so? means there's something in man that hates life. You know what wisdom says? He that hates me loves death. He that hates me loves death. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. It is the fear of the Lord. So since the beginning of creation, man has been running away from life. The life that God offered, the life that God proposed. And there's a reason why I'm, 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 we're discussing this this morning. Because until we have the life that God wants us to live, we cannot operate in that dimension. We cannot operate like God. That's why as soon as Adam sinned, he died, he lost that life. And then from that day on, all he had was the image of God. I mean, the image of man and not of God. So true failure is really failing in the apprehension of life. Because what God wanted to give man was life. So dominion is in life. Blessings are in life. Glory is in life. You see that? Eden is in life. So life is essential to who you need to be for God. And not just human life. Not just the life you've been living without Jesus. The life that Jesus gives is essential for who you need to be with God. Because if you don't have this life, you cannot accomplish destiny. Failure is inevitable. Death is inevitable. Destruction is inevitable. And the life God offers is immortality. So, immortality immortality eternal life was so important to God that he had to come in the form of man and die the death of a criminal so that you could have the life that he had before he died so God said all right you you you, you, you want you want you want life. Here's what I'll do. The only way to get my life is if I die. So God gave up his life so that you may have his life and he took your life. And this is this is this is what really gets to me because what have we not been living before this? Have have man not, not, not been living? What by what me- mechanism had men been living? And then I realize God wants no distinction between earth life and heaven life. The problem with many people is that they live life and once they die, life is, is the, they, are, they are more alienated from the commonwealth of God, from the reality of God after death than in life. So eternal life is, is, is life without end, is life without pauses. And God desires that for you. Today, billionaires are seeking ways to, they they, they call it the fountain of youth. They are seeking the fountain of youth. They are seeking ways to, to make them live longer. And guess what they're using? They're experimenting with fetuses, experimenting with placentas experimenting with baby foreskins think about how how demonic how perverted is that and they experimenting with all the all for the purpose with drinking uh, the blood of young people and experimenting with all those in in seeking to extend their lives men wants to live longer because if he can live longer he can accomplish much so man man is obsessed with living longer yet jesus offers that the thing that men today are killing destroying other lives destroying people, destroying nations, the things that men are wickedly in pursuit of, Jesus is offering for free. And really, this is, this is the context in which the gospel should be preached. Because the context of the gospel is that, is that whoever believes on him should not perish. Perish. Do you understand? That means there should not be destruction that is associated with you. So Jesus is preservation, not only of life, but from destruction, from death. So to have Jesus is to be preserved from death, destruction, and chaos. Only when you don't have Jesus are those things imminent in your life but if you have Jesus it is a it is a guarantee it is guaranteed by God it is backed by God he says should not perish but have everlasting life life that does not run out what what are you saying That is the context with which the gospel is presented to humanity. Because God does not die. God cannot die. And He cannot be the God of the dead. Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, you are mistaken. When they came and asked him about, about uh, uh, what will happen uh, if if this one marries this one and this one dies, and, and Jesus said, you are mistaken. You, you You are mistaken. Have you not read the scripture that he says that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Implying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. In that, Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus said, he is therefore not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So that's why he could not allow those who are waiting for him in hope. Those like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and all the saints. He could not allow them to remain in Gehenna, a place that represented death. Even though they lived, they lived well, but he could not because they were under the earth, and under the earth was not the place for man. And that's why when, when when Jesus when Jesus rose from the dead, this is what many people don't talk about. He did not rise from the dead alone. Because the Bible says the graves of David, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were open, and men saw them walking openly in the streets of Jerusalem. Abraham that died 2000 years ago was now alive, walking the streets, they saw David walking, what had happened, what had happened, they were infused, I have come that they may have life, this is what Jesus meant, that he that was dead, even though he is dead, he said he shall be alive, it's because I am the resurrection and the life in his living he raised up Lazarus, who was dead for four days now you can't read that story and say no oh no no because to believe in jesus is to believe not in the resurrection because he said i am the resurrection and the life what does that mean that means for those who are dead they will come back for those who 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 are still alive they don't need to die because from the garden life has been present life and death have been presented as an option as a choice the day you eat you die it was a choice so death is a choice life is a is a choice blessings are a choice Ay, ya, 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 ya. blessings are a choice that means, that means at any point in my, in my life I can choose to, to live and appropriate the blessings of God absolutely yes because if life is a choice then wealth is a choice if life is a choice then health is a choice if life is a choice, this is what I was saying, that you've got to look at, at, at that d- discussion between Adam and God, and because there you find the truth about life. The day you eat, you die. It's a choice. If I eat, I will die. That means, if, that means I can choose not to eat and leave. It's not happenstance. It's not happenstance. It's not an accidental uh, 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 occurrence. No, it's a choice. He died because he chose it. That's so why many people don't want to hear. You're sick. You're poor. You're not living in the blessings of God. You chose it. It's a choice. That means you can choose health, wealth the good life, the Christ life, the higher life, the blessed life. You can choose it. Because it is packaged within eternal life. Because you must understand what eternal life is. You must understand what eternal life is. The, the trees, the, 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 the plants, the fruits, the Lord God made, the Lord God made, the Lord God made. It is life that makes those things grow. It is life. It is eternal life that brings order out of chaos, that brings structure and light out of darkness. It is life. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. So to have life is to have light, and to have life is that is the source of, of everything in existence. How how do the how do the trees grow? How do the plants grow? How do the fruits grow? How do all these things grow? It's life, because anything without life dies. So God, God was invertedly showing us that look at nature. Look at what happens in nature as a consequence, as a byproduct of life. Look at what life can do. Look at what life produces. And it does not do anything extra because the the, the very essence of life, the very essence of life is is a mechanism in and of itself. So he says to have that life is to engineer blessings. Blessings. To have that life is to enjoy. Ingen- that's why, that's why you you saw Abraham, David, Isaac, Jacob, men who died. We read about them that they were buried in graves that they bought. We heard about them that they died in their old age. We read about them and then there Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, he's not risen alone. He's not risen. That's why Paul says, if the dead are not raised, then our faith is in vain so the entirety the entire context of our Christianity is eternal eternal life because eternal life includes you must understand with eternal life comes resurrection resurrection is the lesser it is the power of eternal life that's the essence the source of resurrection So he says, he says, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What is he telling you? You don't need to die. You don't need to die. That's the message of Jesus Christ. Man, you don't need to die. Age need not affect you. There is no need. Jesus made death redundant. That's why to die, to die, becomes a tool for the Christian man. Oh. (sighs) There is no. Power in death anymore? Oh, death, where is your sting? You ask, I know what you're asking. You're asking then, pastor, why are people dying? That's what you're asking, right? Then, pastor, why are people dying? Even Christians are dying. They don't discern the Lord's body. Because if they discern rightly the Lord's body, there's no need for death. Jesus showed us that death is not the will of God by raising man from the dead in three stages. Those who just died and those who died days. He showed that death is not the will of... look. Look, look at the widow and his son. He knocked on the coffin, the boy rose. Look at the little girl, jehira's daughter. Told her, Talita Kumai, and she rose. Look at Lazarus, he rose. Now, he did that to show us that death is not the will of God. And it is part of the gospel. When he sent them out, he said, preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Antha heela Raise the dead. Raise the dead. Raised Now, now, that, that is an inclusion. That is an inclusion in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem with us is that we have added multiple layers of doctrine that keep us far away from the exercising of this reality. I'll give you an example, right? I'll give you an example. Jesus never told the disciples when he sent them because they were not prayerful. These were the kind of men when Jesus said, watch what me, they were asleep. These were men who who, who who were so depraved in their prayer life that they went to Jesus and they told him, asked him to teach them to pray. So the, 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 the disciples that Jesus was sending out to raise the dead, these were not men who were prayerful. Because it was, it was not the strength of their prayers that would raise the dead. It was the power in the gospel. You, you need to understand this. You need to understand this because it will save your life from many things and from, from, from the erroneous doctrines and traditions in Christianity. Today, if you can't raise the dead, it is in reference to your prayerlessness. And Jesus had never made raising the dead as a reference or an ability that came from prayerfulness. He made that as a reference to the gospel. So the problem is that the reason why we cannot act out the things that Jesus said we could do is not because we don't have access to that ability, but it is because we are too dependent on our own ability. Paul says our sufficiency is not of of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Do you understand that? Who raises the dead. That means that as long as you place the pressure on yourself, there can't be any miracles, but when you begin to put the pressure on God and on the gospels he says that's when you will access power not by might not by power but by my spirit says the Lord so he said, why can't you heal the sick now you're not prayerful enough there 70 Later on they left Jesus, but they were performing miracles casting out devils and devils were listening to them because Jesus gave them power in his name. Because then they came back and they, they were rejoicing, he says, they are subject to us. That even devils are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, rejoice not that devils respect you. He said, but what? Rejoice that your names are written. You see, you see the priority? But he, he was telling them the reason why these devils are respecting you is because you have life. Your, your record of life is listed in heaven. That, that is where your joy must come from. Your source of ability comes from the life that God has given you. We are operating in lifelessness. That's why we do not see the works and miracles of Jesus Christ performed in our lives. Because, did you record on Logic? (laughs) Praise God. That lifelessness is what's causing trouble. Because we are operating from human life not from eternal life. When we begin to place demand on eternal life, you and how do we place it? Remember, how did you get it? How did you get it? You believed. Why is that now there are additions to its operation? You must fast, you must pray, you must give three times a day, you must you must do this. It's like like the early church telling the Gentiles to follow Jewish practices in order for them to be enlisted in the faith. Is like the hypocrisy that Peter showed when before Paul came, he was sitting well with the Gentiles. But when I mean, before Paul came, he was sitting well with the Gentiles, and then when Paul came, Peter moved away from the Gentiles to sit with the uh, Jews. And Paul says, I, I, I rebuked him, I rebuked him because of his hypocrisy. Because we do not receive salvation on account of obeying the law, but on our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the truth. And that is the foundation of the gospel. It does not change it just because our experience of it is not consistent. It does not change it. It is belief and will always be belief that is the root of power in Christianity. Yes, that if we believe, we believe that God raised him from the dead, not that he died, but he was raised. So Christian faith is is faith in power, in the resurrection power. Because the Bible says he wants us to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places. That is the power behind Christianity, and is the power toward us who believe. So the direction comes to us who believe. So until we learn how to believe the right way, we will never have access. We will never come to the confidence of choice. To make the choices that accord with the life that God has given us. Remember Jesus said, just as the father has life within himself, so have he given the son to have life within himself. And he says, this power is given of me that I, I will lay down my life and take it up again. He said, I can kill myself and raise myself up. That's what Jesus said, I can lay it down and take it up again. And that is the same operations of eternal life. Because he said, I come that they may have life. Zoe. Zoe. That means it is the life of God at work in creation. At its source, in its essence, it is the reflection. Of the nature of God. The manifestation of God's nature. In other words. You. You. Can be as effective. As God is in this life. You can be as productive. You can be as successful. Because he wants you. To measure your success. Not by comparing it to him. No. No. He said, by comparing it to God, our life is in com- is in comparison to God. Remember, you shall be perfect, even as I am perfect. That means the standards of perfection are are, are God, not not man. That, that's why he said, don't look down, look up, look up, because that's that's how you that's where your standards are measured. And why is God measuring you to Himself? Is because you have His life. We may not have co-equality in rank, but we have co-equality in essence. And this life, the Bible says, and this life is in his son. This life is in his son. So why is it we have Christians that do not believe and therefore suffer the consequences of not believing? Right? Why, Why is that so? The answer is simple. Because if, if God gave Adam a command, that means to access life, to access death, requires a law. It requires a law. You understand it? No, I don't think you understand it. God commanded him. So the, the, the preservation of his life depended, depended on a law that he had to obey. So he, he, living eternally, living eternally, living Zoe, means that there is a law that you need to access. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The reason why we are dying and suffering is because we are still adhering to the laws that regulate that reality. I'll repeat it. The reason why we are dying and suffering is because we are still adhering to the law that regulate and administrate that reality. Sin and is not just an act, it is a law. Life is a law. Okay, 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 okay. Let's read. Romans chapter 8. Are we there? Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to those who are in Christ. You know the legalists the religious minded christians they don't want the scripture because what the scripture me what the scripture says is that there is no law to judge you that's what it says because For you to be judged, there has to be a law that you have violated. So he says, there is therefore now, now, today, no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no judgment. There is no judgment. I fear... I I fear teaching this. (laughs) But it is the word of God. But I fear teaching this. Because it's a dangerous message. Notice Paul says, there is therefore now no judgment. He was was talking in reference to chapter 7. In chapter 7 Paul begins to to make rhetoric of the workings of the law the imperfection and the weakness of the law in giving sin strength and power to cause him to continue sinning even though it's not what he wants to do and he begins by highlighting its operations, its nature, its power, and then he gets into the root and he says, The reason why I keep sinning is because with my flesh I obey the law of sin. But with my mind, I obey the law of God. So there is there is a conflict within me because what I will, I do not. But what I will not, I do. So there is, there is a conflict within me because there is a, a, a law warring against the law of my soul. And this law is in my members. Let's read it. Let's read it. Let's read it because this is beautiful. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Look at this. He says, verse seven, what shall I say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Okay, okay, wait, wait. Let's read from verse one. We got to take this. We got to read this. Or do you not know, brethren? Let's read from verse 23. Uh, Hallelujah. Just give me a second. Chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, then listen. Or, so it's a continuation. Or, oh, ha, key. Okay, let's read it. <laughs> let's read it. Let's read it again from chapter 6, verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gift of God is what? Eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. So he's speaking to the Jews, right? That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Hmm? For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So, he says, you, you are bound to the law as long as you are alive. So, if, if the law of sin it had been in operation in you, you had been bound to that law until you die. Because you'd only be separated from that law once you die. And surely enough, you did die. When did I die? You died when Jesus died. When you died, you died unto sin. Now, how, how then do you make that a reality in your life? Is by the employment of the law of the mind. Because in chapter 6, chapter, verse 5, the Bible says, Reckon your... Uh, uh, we'll read that. We'll read that. He says, For the woman has, who has a husband is bound by the law to the husband as long as he lives. But if he dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she remains... She marry and marry. I mean, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So marriage is a law that binds a wife to her husband until he dies. Then he says, so that she's no adulteress though she marries another man. So once he dies, he no, she's no longer stopped or bound by that law to her husband. So she can marry and she will not be called an adulteress. But if she marries while the husband is still alive, she's an adulteress. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body, not your body, through the body of Christ. You have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. What, what, what? So, what connects you to the body of Christ? What is it? Belief, the mind. As long as you are alive in your mind, sin has power over you. If if we bring a woman here, right, and you place her naked here, all sorts of things will begin happening to you, right? And if that woman is in her right head, all sorts of things will begin happening to you because your mind is switched on to that reality, right? But then, if before this woman is brought before you here, you are told that this woman is crazy, she don't think right, right? The chances are, even if she's standing here naked, nothing will happen to you. Why? Because in your mind, you would have switched off based on the information you have heard. Do you understand that? But she's, nothing has changed. She remained naked. Nothing has changed. She remained naked. But the fact that you received information about her that allowed you to block the, the sensory perceptions that would otherwise make you feel somehow, right? What changed, what changed the feeling was what? Was the mind. It was not that woman's body. It was the mind. That means with your mind, you were able to shut down the sensation, the feeling that w- you would otherwise have with the mind. Ha! Ha! That means in the same way Based on what Jesus Christ had done, you can shut down to the power of the law of sin. And this is what many Christians have not understood, right? How can I overcome sin? How can I overcome sin? You will see it now. You will see it now. So he says, So, so brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead so he said you are married to jesus christ and you have divorced or died to the law because you were once married to the law that's why the law had power over you do you see that now let's continue but now for when we were in the flesh the sinful okay therefore my brother you become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should not bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law. Notice, the passions, (laughs) the sinful passions were aroused by the law. What what aroused those sinful passions? He says it's the law. The lo- look at it. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. The desire to steal came from the law. The desire, how? The desire to commit adultery, to murder. He says, it. It ar- the law aroused those sinful passions. Hmm. were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now, we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So the only thing that can give us the power to leave or override the operation of the law and what it caused us to do is the spirit. That's why Jesus was so adamant about giving us the spirit. Because the spirit is the only one that could give man the power to override or supplant every other law that is anti-God that was working in us. So, the law aroused sin in the Jew. Because he's talking to those who knew the law, right? So, what aroused sin in the Gentile? You will see. What then shall we say? Is the law sin? Certainly not. That's why I said I'm afraid to say some of the things that I'm going to say now. On the contrary... I would not have known sin except through the law. So it's a dilemma because sin presented gave me knowledge. I mean, the law gave me knowledge of sin. But at the same time, it aroused sin in me. I didn't write it. Maybe you're listening like this guy is, 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 is talking heresy. Read, uh, we're just reading the Bible. Certainly, Lord, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through through the law for I would have n- not known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covert so I would not have known what covetousness is unless the law said so I would not have known that I'm coveting unless the law said thou shall not covert so in in the law bringing forth the knowledge of sin it also what presented an occasion for that reality to take to, to take shape. It also presented the opportunity for me to convert. Then listen, but sin, remember, sin, sin was a law that entered into what? Into the world through Adam. Right? And it is a law. So, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires for apart from the law sin was dead so he in 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 other words he's saying the law revived sin in me the law revived sin in me but apart from the law sin is dead in the presence of the law there is sin Because sin uses the occasion of the law to enter and cause all manner of evil desires. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, The law is holy, and the commandment holy, just, and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So the strength of sin is the law. So the law is what strengthens sin. Even though the law was meant to bring life. And that's why the law could not work. Only the spirit could cause man and sin. I mean, could cause man to overcome sin. By what? By bringing the life of God inside man. Because man as a human being cannot overcome sin. It is man as a divine being that can overcome sin through the aid and help of the Spirit. So, the strength of sin came from the law. You'll see it. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He's sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then... I do what I will not to do. I agree. You see that? I agree because what I'm doing, I don't want to do. So I'm agreeing that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who's doing it, but sin that dwells in me. So where does sin dwell? So men sin because sin lives in them. It's a law that works within their flesh. So, listen to what Paul says. For what I am doing, I do not... uh, Okay. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I do not will to, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer how I would do it by sin that dwells in me. Then there it is. There's, there's, there's the crux. I find then a law that evil is present with me. I find what? A law. What does this law say? Evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. He says, evil, with with the one who wants to do good, evil is present with him. It's a law. It's a law. That to the one who wants to do good, evil is right there. Right there. For I delight. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That's why I will to do good. But I see another law in my members, in my limbs, my body, in in my flesh. There's another law. Right? Warring against the law of my mind. So Paul is referring to the inward man as the law of his mind. And that's what he desires, he delights in the law of God according to the inward man. That's his mind. Right? Then he says, This law in his members is warring against the law of his mind, bringing him into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That means he does not have power to exercise the law of his mind over the law that is in his members. Because he always finds himself captive to the law of sin in his flesh. That means if I am sinning, I am adhering to the law of what? Of sin. That's the only reason why men sin. Because they they are adhering to the law of sin. If you can sin, you can live eternally. Because the capabilities are sponsored by the same narrative. If you can sin, you can live divinely. If you can, if you can sin, you can live divinely. Now, let's read. O rich man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So the problem that Paul is facing is with his body. So the throne of sin is the flesh of man. And that's why, that's why, that's why, as long as this body is on us, the, the possibility to sin and the possibility to fall astray will exist. This is what explains the need to take off this body of sin. Do, do you understand that? Do, do you understand the need to take off this body of sin? By what? By leaving it. By dying. Right? What? To put on the immortal the incorruptible because this body is corrupted remember when you were saved in the regeneration it was not your body that was saved it was your spirit man that was regenerated so your spirit man who 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 fully resembles god is encased in a corrupted being corrupted suit in a corrupted body so the inward man is vulnerable constantly because he's in an environment that stimulates constantly this body because this world is underseen. So there is a dilemma that man faces, that Christians face, that they are inwardly recreated but outwardly corrupted. And that's what the Bible talks about the redemption of this body and how creation is groaning and waiting. And how then do we come into the liberty of the sons of God? Because already we are enthroned. We are seated together with Christ. The problem is the limitation that the flesh provides. So Paul is exclaiming this in exasperation. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. Because now, because now through Jesus Christ, we can exercise the law of the mind. We can exercise the law of God through the mind. You'll see it. He said, so then, I thank God through Jesus Christ. So then, with my mind, with my mind, that means with your mind, you can override the law of sin. You'll see it. With my mind, I myself, your spirit, serve the law of God. But with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. This explains why, why Paul talks about offering up the man to Satan that his spirit must be saved but his body destroyed. It explains it perfectly. It explained it perfectly because as long as the sin comes from the flesh, the man still has a chance of making it to heaven. It's only once the sin is spiritual that now the man is in danger. Look at at Moses. Moses murdered. Moses killed the man. Yet today we call him man of God. No prophet in the whole Bible like Moses. Yet he murdered. Look at Paul. Same story. When they were murdering Stephen, Paul was there. He was the one that went to go and ask for for documents. To go and kill and arrest Christians. Yet he's the man of God that wrote the third of the Bible. Why didn't God consider it? Later on he says I have wronged no man. What had happened? I had wronged no man. Something had happened. That's why he says in verse chapter 8 verse 1 he says there is therefore no now no judgment to those who are in Christ. There is no judgment. There is no... Come, let's read. Who walk not after the... Who walk not according to the... They, who, who, what is wrong with the flesh? Is that the law of sin lives there. What is wrong with the flesh? Sin lives there. And you see, the only time sin in you is is mortified... Is when you what you reckon yourself because remember he said you have died to the law that means you have died to sin through the body of Jesus when you begin to reckon with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ you will begin to experience the reality of the mortification of sin sin is not mortified through prayer huh you can fast and pray how many times have you fasted and prayed about some sin in your life. Maybe you've been smoking or alcohol. You are a Christian, born again. You love Jesus. But you have this smoking thing. You have this problem. You have this alcohol. You have a problem. A sin problem. And you've been praying. Right? You've been praying. But there's no help. You've been fasting, but there's no help. Because it's not the, the, the sin is not destroyed by prayer. Sin is not destroyed by fasting. That's why prayerful people sin. <laughs> yes, because it's not destroyed by those things. Was not Moses a high high level intercessor? Was not Moses a high level intercessor? Did he not so at Israel? In, did he not lose it did not Moses lose it this miracle worker seepata mm. did he not lose it he lost it yet he, he 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 interceded 180 days on his on his 40 days consecutively lying down but he lost it Because you can't pray your flesh away, can you? The dilemma is that the body you are trying to drive sin away from is still the same body that you need. And God knows that He still needs that body. So He needs to get you to a place of maturity to mortify sin. How? Paul says, I die daily. What does this man say? I die daily. This is a matter of consciousness. It's not a matter of prayer. It's a matter of consciousness. If you are praying to help your consciousness ascend to the dimension where your belief in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is cemented in your heart, then yes, pray. But if you are praying for God to remove the sin from you, it will not be removed because it's a law that operates within each and every single man, it's in the DNA. So You need the spirit now. You now you realize why well, you need the spirit of God. It's not just, just about rapa papa. No, it has nothing to do with that. I, I mean, it, it, it has nothing uh, to do with that only. There, there are other factors within that that, that that require the spirit of God in you. And the first, the, the, the hindrance to spirituality is carnality the hindrance to the divine life is carnality and when does carnality exist it exists in the flesh it is it is propagated by the law of sin that operates in your members so god has to first judge sin in the flesh and he judged it on the flesh of jesus That's why he says, we have died to sin. We have died to the law through the death of Christ. So as long as our context for living comes from, emanates from Christ, then the power to override the power of sin will be given. That's why Paul says, I do not want to know any other thing except Christ crucified. Because without that sin and its law, will surely deceive me. Mm. Will surely deceive me because God's hope, God's vision is not only forgiveness of sin, it's freedom from sin. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why the church is running away from this subject because they don't understand how in the world can we get rid of this thing. Mm. Mm. Even pastors have given up because they're like, sin, you last for forgiveness. Why? Because they can't figure out how in the world can this thing be dealt with? There is a way. It's the spirit. It's the spirit. Because the spirit will... Oh God, come. Let's read. There is therefore now no judgment to those who are in Christ. Right? Hallelujah. For those who are in 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 Christ who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit this is where the secret is is to choose daily to walk according to the spirit because only the spirit of god can help you hallelujah mm-hmm. only the spirit of god can aid you because without the spirit there's no hope for you the only hope that exists for you and me is living in according to the spirit. Ah, glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God, what happened? It's over there, it's over there. Excuse me. Praise God, just sorry about that. Hallelujah. So, think about this, right? Happen? just uh, press the television no this one uh, just uh, sorry about that. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. 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 So, yeah, so let, let, let's get back into it. Are, are you learning something? Hope you're learning something. He said, for the law, for the law, he says, there's no judgment. Actually, when when we when when you read uh the ancient text, the original text, there is no who do, who do not walk after the flesh but. It doesn't exist, that that part there. So it seems like it was added by the translators because they did not feel comfortable with leaving the scripture as it is. And there's a problem with man, right? Because the the, the scripture originally reads, there is therefore no condemnation to them in Christ. No judgment. And then that's it. And then it goes to verse 2. It's not about who or what. no, it's like it doesn't exist, so you could read it like therefore now no con- no judgment to those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life you see why there's no judgment, there's no judgment because there's no condemnation because the law. Of the spirit of life, huh? There, there you go. There you go. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So in Jesus exists the law of the spirit of life. You remember what he said in John chapter 6, verse 63. He said, He said, It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. That means there is no profit from the flesh. When you look back at the end of your life, it, it, is, it, is, it is the profits from the spirit that will matter, not from the flesh. Because the flesh cannot produce any profit. There's no gain from living a life of the flesh. There's no gain whatsoever. It does not matter. As long as you have built, you have lived your life by the flesh. He says there is no eternal gains. Because he says, he that sows to his flesh sows corruption and he will reap death and corruption. So the only thing the flesh can produce is destruction. The flesh can't produce anything good. Paul says, I know there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh because nothing good can come out of the flesh. So the the problem with Christianity is that we live and function too much by the flesh and expect spirit results. Jesus said, do you not know whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. And only the Spirit gives life. And He's telling us now there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life that is in Jesus is a law. And laws requires adherence. You don't pray to obey a law. Sam Shalida probably we've been praying for eternal life and God says no you don't need to pray believe for it eternal life is believed for that means it, the, it's the experience of that reality is in belief is in the belief center not in the prayer center how many people have prayed and still died we need to put things in perspective in their true perspective. So the Christian problem is not a prayer problem, it's a belief problem. The very same people who believe don't believe. John said, I write to you who believe that you may believe That you you may believe that you have, not going to have, not going to be given, but that now, in this life, today, right now, you have eternal life. But But you say, I don't feel it. You don't need to feel eternal life. You don't need to feel eternal life. He says, the first step in experience is belief. He didn't say, I write to you who believe that you may pray to have says i write you see you see you can pray for illumination you can pray for god to help you understand but you need to believe because that's the facility in which eternal life operates and he says there's no judgment for those in christ in christ question am i in christ yes Am I, am I baptized into Christ? Yes. By what methodology? By the spirit. By one spirit. We are all baptized into Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ Jesus, there is a law in Christ that works. Inside him. Inside him. It says, inside him there is a law. Is the law of the spirit of life. It is the law that regulates all of life. All spiritual, natural, human, plant life. Every life in the universe is regulated by the law of spirit life of life in Christ Jesus he didn't say the spirit of life he said the law the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus the law the law of the spirit of for the law the law the law of the spirit there is a law in the kingdom that regulates the life of god that regulates the zoe of christ there is a law that, that 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 you can operate and that law he says has made me free has made me free, has liberated me, has freed me from the law of sin and death. And where is the law of sin and death operative? In the flesh. So to gain superiority over the law of sin and death, he says, you need to adhere to the law of the spirit of life. What is the law of the spirit? Of life in Christ, because that law is in Christ, and He calls it the law. Let's just lift up our hands, oh God, in heaven. Thank you, oh Satra Gita. Oh, what life, what knowledge, what truth, precious Spirit of God. Oh, Franz Alishan Sakila Badare. Shabal canta Kira adliye 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 Oh declare it this morning for the law of the spirit of life has made me free I'm liberated from sin and death that means no sin no death no destruction or darkness has any reins over you this is what God has come to give us in Christ Jesus and we bless you, Lord, for it. Oh, illuminate. Shed more light into this, precious Holy Ghost. Ah, oh, shed more light, precious Spirit of God. Oh, glory to God. Glory. Woo, hallelujah. Blessed God, I have eternal life in me. Oh, my God, I have eternal life in me. I have Zoe in me. I have that sin destroying life in me. Sickness destroying life in me. My God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God, we believe. Ooh, we believe, we believe. We believe in Zoe. We believe in it. Ooh, in the life giver. In the life giver. Hallelujah, praise God. The Bible says the second Adam was the life giving spirit. He was a life-giving spirit. So Jesus operated this law. The Bible says it was not possible that death could contain him. It was not possible for the grave to hold him. For thou shalt not allow the Holy One to see corruption. There was an impossibility. Th- this tells us what Jesus did was so was so powerful. What he did was so powerful because that means that Jesus if the law of sin if sin operated in the flesh that means Jesus by the justice system of God and the justice requirement of God, Jesus absorbed all of sin in his flesh and that still didn't corrupt him. And as long as your consciousness, that's what the Bible says, set your mind on things above. As long as your mind will continue next week. We'll continue next week. I think I've said enough today. Oh, my God. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. None. As long as you adhere to the law of the spirit of life, no condemnation. At all. Because you have eternal life. You have it. You have it. This is the record. Let's read one last scripture. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my God. Oh, my Lord, my God. My Lord, thank you, Holy Ghost, for guiding us into truth. My Lord, my God. Hey, hey! Sila baradanko My Lord, my God. Hey, hey! Manta, kafrana, sala, imala, shana, grada, gabraniga, sanda. Oh, pray for the spirit to root this message in your spirit. Oh, my God, this is the end of sin. If this message really settles in our spirits, it's the end of the sin, sinning problem. It's the end of it. It's the end of it. It's the end of the weakness in the flesh. It's the end. My God. My God. Verse nine of 1 John chapter five. 1 John chapter five, verse nine, right up until verse 13. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He has the testimony in himself. So the te- inside you is the testimony of God. So God is not up in heaven talking, I have a testimony, I have a testimony. No, he says the testimony of God resides in those who believe in the Son. He says he that believes in the Son has the testimony. And this is the testimony. And this is the testimony, verse 11, eternal life. That God has given us eternal life. Do you believe in the Son of God? Yes, I do. Well, do you have the testimony of God? Yes, you do. What is the testimony of God? The gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. What is the testimony of God to man? It is that he that believes... In the son, God has given him eternal life. The record is with you. Listen to this. And this is the testament that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son. He who has. He who has the son has life. These things, verse 13, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe. This is proof that a vast majority of us believers don't know that we have it. We don't know because not many along these lines have been taught and taught throughout the history of the church but this is what will make us the immortals this is what will make us the immortal this message the record eternal life and 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 the church needs to do a, a thorough investigation you know I was sitting last night and I was meditating in my study and I was just looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and I was asking what is the purpose of the church? What is the goal of the church of ministry of ministers? And the answer was there that we may all come unto the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. To become of one age. That is the goal which we all have been subscribed. And it begins with the foundation and that foundation is eternal life. Listen, whether whether 80, 90% of the church has no experience in this regard, it does not make any difference. Whether you and I today have no experience in this reality, it makes no difference. What makes the difference is whether or not we keep the testimony of God, the record of God. And we continue to homologia with Him that we have eternal life. I think I'll end it here this morning. I trust you are blessed. And I trust this message has really ministered to you. There are so many things that we've said, so many things that we've discussed this morning. And I think it, 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 it can only do you well, if you go back to this message and and re-listen to it and replay it and let it minister to you and let the Spirit of God minister to you. Many of God's people are struggling, struggling in their lives with sin, struggling in their lives. Many are hopeless. They are walking around believing in Jesus Christ, but they are hopeless. Yet the answers have already been provided. The solution has already been given. Jesus has come. Life has been distributed. It's up to us, ministers, to teach and shed God's light on these truths that God's people may believe and walk therein. And I hope and I trust this message has blessed you. We will be together very soon, but the Word of God knows no distance. There's no distance to the impact of God's Word. So we bless God for the opportunity he has given us this morning to teach God's word, to teach God's people. And I trust that this message has blessed you. We're gonna take offering now. And like I said, uh, you can just send through your offerings via uh, our church uh, platform, our church account, we will send it through. And I'm gonna pray for your offering, I'm gonna pray for for your tithes. You know, God's word is powerful and like I said in this message it is us who who decide the Bible says a curse causeless does not come in other words a curse is not an accident you understand that in the same way to be blessed and live the blessed life is not accidental it's a conscious choice and we we take those that conscious